We want to move on today into the letter of Philippians. So, here we go. Ready? All right, a little bit about the city of Philippi. The city of Philippi was located in what is now northeastern Greece. At the time of the Apostle Paul, Philippi had a population of about 250,000 people. It was quite a large city, and it was named after Philip of Macedon, whom you see here on this gold coin, real handsome fella, who happened to be the father of Alexander the Great. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 16, verse 12, that it, Philippi, was the chief city in that part of Macedonia. And he also tells us that it was a Roman colony, which was a special privilege that was given to very few cities in the Roman Empire. The Apostle Paul arrived in Philippi during his second missionary journey. It was the first city in Europe where he preached the gospel. And let's remember what happened at Philippi. There was a young lady named Lydia that Paul led to Christ. The first believer on the continent of Europe she was. And Paul used her house as his base of operations while he and his team preached there in Philippi. Eventually, he cast a demon out of a demon-possessed girl which started a riot which caused the city magistrates to order that the Apostle Paul be beaten with rods and thrown into jail. And while he was in jail, he was singing in the middle of the night, and this angel came and blew the doors of the prison open and blew the chains off of all the prisoners. And after that jailer saw this, Paul led him and his whole family to Christ. Well, I guess so. Yeah. And then the magistrates came and said, Paul, you know what? You are nothing but trouble. By the way, you see on the screen the actual jail cell. Let's go back where the Apostle Paul was kept. They've actually dug it up, and that's the actual cell where Paul was that night. The magistrates came to him and said, Paul, would you do us all a big favor and just leave town? And he did. And he went on to Thessalonica, and we'll talk more about the city of Thessalonica when we pick up and talk about the letter to the Thessalonians. Now, the reason I went through that is because there is something in these details that does a tremendous job to confirm the veracity, the trustworthiness of the Bible. In Acts chapter 16, the Greek word that is used for city magistrates was the word praetors. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because archaeology confirms that Philippi was the only Roman colony where the rulers were called praetors. Cicero, great Roman poet, said, and I quote, Although the rulers are called duumvirs in the other colony cities, the rulers at Philippi wished to be called praetors. And William Ramsey, professor of Greek archaeology and classical language at Oxford <laughs> University, said this. He said, one of the most impressive claims to the historicity of the book of Acts is that Luke always gets titles right. How a writer, he says, handles titles 
quickly betrays if he is trying to construct a forgery or if he was there as an eyewitness. Ramsey continues, every official in Acts is found precisely where he ought to be. Proconsuls in senatorial provinces, Asiarchs in Ephesus, praetors in Philippi, etc. He concludes by saying the only reasonable conclusion is that the book of Acts must have been written by an eyewitness of the events exactly as the Bible claims it was. Now listen, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and one of the things that's held you up in making a personal commitment of your life to Christ is whether or not the Bible is really true, whether you can trust it, whether it has veracity and, and, and credibility, I'm here to tell you, you don't need to worry about that. What I just read to you was one of hundreds of examples of where the Bible has stood the test of the most critical survey. You say, yeah, well, but William Ramsey was a, yeah, he was a Christian. What do you expect him to say? My friends, William Ramsey was not a Christian when all of this started. He was an unbelieving, atheistic professor at Oxford whose students began to share Christ with him, and he got so sick of his students bothering him with the gospel that he took a sabbatical, went to Asia Minor, Turkey, and Greece, followed the book of Acts, which he had the training to do, and his goal was to prove that the book of Acts was wrong. So all these people would leave him alone. And what he found is that, as you heard, the book of Acts is actually so incredibly accurate that the man gave his life to Christ and became one of the most erudite defenders of the faith in the beginning of the 20th century. He was not a believer when he did this research. So, I'm back to my point. The Bible says that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to heaven except through me. Friends, you can believe that that's the truth, and if you haven't trusted Christ, man, I sure hope you will. The Bible is not lying to you. You can count on it to be truthful, all right? We good? All right. Now, we're going to go on and talk about the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians along with three other of Paul's letters, and you know what they are because they're on the screen. Okay, what are they? <laughs> Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. These are called the prison epistles of the Apostle Paul because he wrote them from prison, right. When he was in prison in Rome, awaiting trial before Emperor Nero, 61 to 62 AD. And Paul had maintained a close personal friendship with the church at Philippi, uh, so much so that the church of Philippi was the only church Paul ever started that actually monetarily supported his missionary journeys. Can you believe that? All those churches he started, none of the rest of them ever helped him? Look what he said, Philippians 4.15. Paul said, now as you Philippians know, after I left you, not one church 
shared with me in the matter of giving but you. For you sent me aid again and again to help with my needs. And because Paul had this personal relationship with this church, this deep love existed between Paul and the Philippians. When the Philippians heard that Paul was in jail in Rome, they sent a fellow named Epaphroditus. He's mentioned in chapter 2 of Philippians. And they sent him to go to Rome and to check on Paul and to bring Paul some more money to help meet Paul's earthly needs. And this is the presenting reason why Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians. He wrote it, number one, as a thank you note for their gift, and number two, as a status report as to how he was doing there in Rome. And he tells them three things in this regard. Number one, Paul says, I'm so thankful for your gift. Philippians 4.18, for I am amply supplied, he says, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. So thank you, Paul says. Number two, Paul says to them, I want you to know that God's been in control all along and that everything that's happened to me has turned out for the good. Philippians 1.12, now I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul says, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I'm doing good. And finally, number three, Paul said, I expect to be released soon. Philippians 2.23, he said, I hope to send Timothy to you as soon as I see how things go, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will be coming to see you shortly. And according to church historians, Paul was released from this first imprisonment in Rome in 62 AD. The great church uh, historian Eusebius said, after he made his defense, the apostle was sent again upon the ministry of preaching. Then he was brought back to the same city, Rome, a second time and suffered martyrdom. This was in 66 AD. And Clement of Rome, Bishop of Rome in the next century, said, and I quote, after suffering in Rome, Paul went to the boundary of the West, Spain, where he always wanted to go, preaching the gospel. So let's summarize, shall we? Paul's letter to the Philippians was a personal note to his most personal church. All the note was about was number one, thanking them for their support, and number two, assuring them that he was doing okay. All right, everybody got it? All right, now, that's as far as we're gonna go in the letter itself, because I want us to stop now, and I want us to ask our most important question. So, are we ready? Okay, all you guys at Loudon, all you guys out there at uh, Prince William and Bethesda and around the world on the internet campus, when I say three, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah. You say, Lon, that was great. Loved learning about all that stuff. Yeah, but well, so what difference does any of that make to me? Well, let's talk about that. Remember, if you would, why Paul was in Rome. 
Paul got shipped to Rome, Acts chapter 27, because of his Jewish enemies in Israel. Because of them, he had been in jail in Israel for two years. Then he appealed to Caesar, and because of them, he spent two more years in jail in Rome. Because of these enemies, he was shipwrecked and almost died in Acts chapter 27. And because of these guys, he had lost his freedom to move around and preach the gospel. They lied about Paul. They schemed against Paul. They rejoiced in every setback that Paul had. But you know what Paul says here in Philippians? I love it. Verse 12, he says, all that they did to me, Paul says, what did he say? Actually, he says, it all served to advance the gospel. And then he tells us two reasons why. And I want you to know them. Number one, he says, verse 14, most of the brethren have been made more confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment and have become much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Paul says, because I was willing to be in jail for Christ, lots of Christians out there have been emboldened to stand up for Christ, and that has advanced the gospel. But there was a second reason Paul said that all that happened to him turned out to the advancement of the gospel, and that's found in verse 13. Paul says, it has become, say the next two words with me. You can, do, you can do better than that. It's become what? Well known. Okay, it's become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to the rest, meaning of the palace officials, that my imprisonment, Paul says, is for Christ. Now, let's stop for a moment and make sure we know who the Praetorian Guard were. The Praetorian Guard was the most uh, elite regiment in the Roman army. They were originally established by the first emperor, Caesar Augustus, 31 BC, uh, as a personal bodyguard for the emperor and his family. But by the time of the apostle Paul, they had become the most powerful political force in Rome. Sandra Bingham, in her new book called The Praetorian Guard, said, and I quote, the Praetorian Guard became the power behind the throne with the ability to make or break an emperor, and they were the most privileged group in the Roman military, end of quote. And Paul tells us right here in Philippians that every single one of these guards heard the gospel of Jesus Christ because, you're going to love this, one of the duties of the Praetorians was to guard those prisoners like Paul who were scheduled to appear for trial before the emperor. Which means, do you understand this? It means that one by one, for two years, every member of the Praetorian Guard had to take a shift handcuffed to the Apostle Paul. Now, if you were an unbelieving Praetorian, how would you like to be handcuffed 
to the Apostle Paul for an eight-hour shift. What do you think? Think you'd hear the gospel? You betcha. And folks, this is how the whole Praetorian Guard heard the gospel. And this is how so many of them came to Christ. And this is how so many of the emperor's own household heard the gospel. How? Because the Praetorian guards that came to Christ took the gospel and told it to the people that they were guarding, the children of the emperor, the relatives of the emperor. And this is how so many of the emperor's family came to Christ. You say, how do you know they did? Because Paul says, Philippians 4.22, all the believers in Rome greet you, especially those of, say the word, Caesar's household. Man, there was a whole bunch of people of Caesar's household that had come to Christ all because Paul had been chained to these Praetorian guards for two years. And all of this happened, I don't want you to miss this, because of the harm that Paul's Jewish enemies tried to do to him. All God did is take their evil and flip-flop it into Paul's good and the gospel's advancement. Do we see that? We got that. You think Paul any other way would have gotten to talk to the Praetorian guard? No. You think Paul any other way would have gotten to present the gospel to the household of the emperor? Of course not. And friends, God did for Paul just what Paul said God did and said he would do. God caused all things to work together for good to those who loved him, and he did it for Paul. You know who else he did it for? He also did it for a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament. You remember, his brothers sold him into slavery. They wanted to hurt him. They wanted to damage him. They wanted to kill him. But remember when they finally met again and were scared to death, now he, the prime minister of Egypt, that he was going to take revenge on them. I love what Joseph said. Joseph said, Genesis 50, 20, he says, you know what? God just took your evil and flip-flopped it, fellas. Don't worry about it. You intended harm against me. I know that. But God overruled it and redirected it and intended it for good. Now, let's talk about you and me. Because as followers of Christ, friends, we have the same God that Paul and Joseph had. Yeah? And we've got the same promise that Paul and Joseph had. That God was going to cause all things to work together for good in our life. And because of this, we must not let what people do to us rob us of our joy in the Lord. We must look at people who want to hurt us and want to damage us and lie about us and want to do wrong to us and do unrighteous things and scheme against us. We must look at them, whether they're our neighbor, our coworker, some relative, whoever, our boss, whoever it is, and we must smile at them. And we must say, usually on the inside, we must say, you don't know it, 
but you are just an itsy-bitsy little pawn on God's chessboard that God's using to get me to the right square. In fact, if you knew that by being mean to me, you were helping me, you hate me so much, you'd be nice to me. You follow that? Yeah, okay. You got that. But you are just an itsy-bitsy little pawn that God is using. And friend, God is not, you are not running the chessboard. God's running the chessboard, not you. And whatever you do, he's just going to take it. And he's just going to flip-flop it. And he's just going to use it for my good and his glory. So hit me with your best shot. Go ahead. Hit me with everything you got. Because my eyes, yeah, hit me with your best shot. Because my eyes are on Jesus. Amen? Amen. And my hope is in Jesus. Amen? Amen? And my help comes from Jesus. Amen? Amen. Not, not man. So do whatever you need to do. When it's all said and done, I'm going to be right where I need to be. God's going to see to that. Folks, isn't that what God did with Paul? That's exactly what he said. All that evil those people did worked out to my good and the advancement of the gospel. And friends, all the evil people are doing to you is going to work out for your good and the advancement of Christ if you'll just trust him. So don't let people take your joy away. Huh? Don't let them do that. There's no reason for it. You got a great God, and he made you a great promise. So why shouldn't we rejoice in the Lord? Got it? Got it. Let's pray. Dear Father, we're reminded in the book of Proverbs that some trust in horses and some trust in chariots. They trust in what man can do and all of the schemes of man. But we trust in the Lord our God. And so, Father, take our, our eyes and our hearts off of what people are doing to us and put our eyes and our hearts back on Christ and his power and his promise that he will take whatever they do and flip-flop it and that we don't need to worry about it and restore to us the joy of our salvation, Father. Use the Word of God in a mighty way in our hearts and lives today. Encourage us and give us hope because when we walk with Jesus, there's no excuse for anything but hope. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And what did God's people say? Amen. Amen.